The good thing is that I have no idea. Um, I'm an opportunity seizer. And when an opportunity rises, I can uh, see if it's if it fits me or not at a specific time. I'm very pleased with the position that I'm in now. Um, I get to look at new technologies uh, firsthand. Um, I get to assist them, uh, help them, support them uh, through their journey, and see how um, a patient at the end uh, uses them uh, and, get, and see that the novel technologies that you saw yesterday have matured into legitimate therapies and are now sponsored by HMOs for the benefit of the great public. And I think this is a very satisfying uh, process to look at and to assist. Hi there, I'm Dr. Ofelizal Barnea, and I'm with Dr. Elena Itzkovich for another episode of Macademia Podcast. Here, we explore the different ways science and scientific careers can be developed outside of academia. Before we introduce our guest for today, we would like to invite you again to join our Macademia group on Facebook, to follow our account at MacademiaP on Twitter, and if possible, to subscribe, rate, and even review our, our podcast at your favorite podcast app, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This will, of course, support others to join this important conversation. And now uh, I want to welcome Dr. Anad Bem Kagan, current role as the head of medical technologies at the Ministry of Health in Israel, as we explore the different ways of how science is more than just academia. Hi, Ofe. Hi, Elena. Thanks for having me here. Hi, Nat. Welcome. It's great to Thank see you. you. So, Anat, I think the best intro, what is Head of Medical Technologies in the Ministry of Health in Israel? Um, well, I'll say that I'm Head of um, National Projects at the uh, Medical Technologies Innovation, Health Information and Research Directorate at the Ministry of Health. It's a big, a big name. Um, do you have an abbreviation? Yeah, we call it MTIL, M-T-I-I-R, it's, it's, it's the same. Um, and um, the MTIL Directorate has about 10 divisions uh, that are uh, responsible from, for a lot of things having to do with uh, medical technologies. Um, we have divisions that are in charge of uh, radiation control and safety. Uh, we have divisions that are um, responsible for um, uh, for uh, how to stop pharmaceutical uh, crime, and we also have divisions that are dedicated to uh, what is called the uh, National List of Health Services, or Salatifutufot uh, in Hebrew. Um, this is a division that every year. Um, uh, takes requests from the public, from uh, sponsors, uh, from pharmaceutical uh, companies or medical device companies uh, in order to uh, decide about reimbursement uh, for uh, the technologies that they offer for the public and the um, through the HMOs. Um, and we also have uh, two other divisions. One is the medical device division, 
which is responsible for reviewing and authorizing the use of all medical devices. Um, and another uh, division, which is the pharmaceutical uh, division, which is responsible for regulation, use, uh, registration, clinical trials for uh, pharmaceutical products, biologics, and et cetera. Wow. So I think that our main, the directorate's main role, I think, is the regulator of all medical technologies. And what I do is I had the um, life science uh, project within uh, the directorate. And our main goal, I think, is to bridge the gap between uh, the product, any medical technology, uh, whether be it um, advanced therapies or uh, medical devices or uh, digital health or whatever, from the point that it's even an idea through the R&D process, the clinical trials, um, the registration, even post-marketing, uh, up till it gets to the patient and it's safe and uh, effective um, for, for the benefit of the patient in Israel. Wow. So it sounds very timely. Uh, do, you, do you have anything to do with the uh, vaccines of sort of authorizing them in Israel? Definitely. Our director is responsible for reviewing the quality and safety data of all uh, vaccinations for the use, uh, for the use uh, regarding Corona now. Um, and, and it's time consuming. And uh, I think we have about uh, 20 or 30 people working around the clock dedicated to this. Yeah. So if anyone is worried, there are 20 people that are going to look at this data and, and decide whether it's good enough for the Israeli public. And definitely, I, definitely. I assume here there's a, the parallel here as well. It's great to know. Yeah. Which are completely unrelated and unsolicited by Pfizer, Moderna, or any other pharmaceutical company, but they have the sole, like, better outcome from, at, at your case and at the Israeli public. Um, just to put into context, though, the Israeli health system is a centralized one as opposed to what we like people know in the states, and like we we got in Israeli four. we got like a four five HMOs, right? Four HMOs, yeah. And and the Ministry of Health is is kind of they're not they're not private, they're semi-private. They're regulated. Like they're that, regulated but, by the by is, the ministry. Uh, like, also, they're regulated. They're regulated. By the by, the ministry. You also have um, uh, hospitals that are governmental uh, hospitals, um, and those that are not are mostly operated by uh, the one of the the HMOs. You have very few privately owned uh, public hospitals yeah. in Israel. So that put another emphasis or, or great value basically on your on your role and empty role as uh, as a leading as a spearhead in the technology of like digitalized, digitalized health and everything and making like the Israeli health system um, a sort of a further gun to, uh, to develop new technologies because everything is one, basically one system. Exactly. Uh, you, have, you have the different hospitals and each of them can um, um, explore and implement different technologies at their own local uh, level and maybe even develop sometimes uh, within uh, 
uh, R&D divisions or innovation divisions within the hospital, they can uh, uh, explore and develop their own uh, technologies. But if you look at a national level, and if you want to see like um, a scaling up of a specific technology, then that is exactly what uh, the directorate is responsible for. Uh, cool. Uh, I, I guess we were going to circle back to this and all those possibilities of running like very interesting technology pilots in the Israeli health system and your role in this. But let's go back. Go back to the beginning. When, <laughs> no, not all the way back. Yeah. When I was born. <laughs> it was dark. No, never mind. Uh, not all the way back, but how you got there. So this is a very unique and we haven't heard about a certain uh, this kind of uh, job for a PhD scientist to roll into this level of policy. So we're very interested how you get to this position. Yeah, and it's important to say that, uh, Anat, you're not, uh, you don't have a PhD in, in policy or anything like that. You're a neuroscientist, no. right? No, unfortunately, I'm a biologist. <laughs> I have a PhD in uh, neurobiology. Um, I do have a master's in uh, policy, in public policy, but um, let's say back in uh, uh, 2015, 2016, I was, I had no idea that this is the direction I'm going to go to. Um, I started, uh, let's say I did a, um, uh, my bachelor's degree in uh, cognitive sciences and biology, and I got it from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. I was completely fascinated and, and passionate with regard to um, neurodegenerative diseases. I remember that uh, I uh, interviewed I, I can't remember if it was for uh, the Weizmann Institute or uh, Tel Aviv University. And I told them, I had a completely serious face and I told them, I'm passionate about Al Alzheimer's. I want to do Alzheimer's. And they looked at me, you know, girl, what's wrong with you? Um, but I knew that what I wanted to do was something to do with uh, brain sciences, because I thought, and I still do, that brain is the most fascinating organ there is. Um, I have a thought that we will be able to deal with everything neck and below, uh, therapeutical, uh, in the next few decades. Uh, but this box that we're all using, I think we won't be able to crack its whole capacity, uh, maybe ever. It's like meta, meta thinking, you know, <laughs> how you how you can deal with the brain and you have to use your brain in order to think how you're going to use your brain. <laughs> Dualism. Yeah, so. It's like a catch, catch 22 um, for scientists. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I thought that Alzheimer's disease is um, one of the most, um, I don't want to say promising avenues because it's everything but promising, but uh, it's something that you have to, to address. Um, losing your memories, I think it's the most painful thing that you can go through. Um, and so I knew I wanted to deal with Alzheimer's. And um, then I, I read about um, uh, my PI's lab, uh, Professor Michelson's lab in Tel Aviv University, that exactly this was their topic. They dealt with uh, uh, genetic uh, predisposition 
for Alzheimer's. It's not familial Alzheimer's, which is, I think, what, what most labs um, research because you know, uh, looking at uh, genetic mutations is always um, somewhat easier than looking at something that is um, more dirty, let's say, as a predisposition or a risk factor. Because um, you can get it and you can not get it and then you never know. Um, and so that's where I decided to go. And I did a direct route, uh, direct a PhD uh, in uh, Tel Aviv University at his lab and where we explored uh, the APOE4, which is a genetic risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. We worked in vivo, which again, I think is um, difficult and yet close, closer than, uh, than working uh, in vitro. Um, and for the first time, his lab decided to go to a more therapeutical avenue. They were more basic science. They tried to figure out uh, uh, the mechanism of action. And then um, I, I don't know what happened, but he decided he wanted to shift to a more therapeutic avenue. Now, uh, therapies in Alzheimer's disease uh, statistically is the, um, what's the opposite of safest? Dangerous. Let's say it's basically um, impossible. You know, uh, they have a 90, 99.9% .9 failure in all clinical trials, I think. You don't have um, a new um, uh, therapeutic avenue for like the past two, three decades, I think. Um, as opposed to, I don't know, let's say cancer or even Parkinson's or... Um, and it's not because of the lack of, of research. No, uh, I think it's like eventually it also translated into a little less research because research, uh, you want to have, um, let's say, an horizon, uh, maybe supported by uh, government or support by uh, pharmaceutical companies or support by someone who thinks that there's a chance you will be able to, to, to get somewhere. And what we saw is that it's super, super, super difficult. We got grants and we did have money to explore and uh, research, but when you come up uh, empty at the end. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's very difficult to, 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 keep, to keep up. Yeah, I think in, in, in science, there are so many disappointments that you, you need something to lift you up. <laughs> Exactly. So uh, we do. We did get um, uh, very um, promising results, but you know, it, it stops with the mice. <laughs> the translation, I think, uh, uh, this is called the like the valley of death. You know, when you have something, um, some sort of uh, of um, agent that you have in your hands, and you saw in um, in uh, preclinical trials that could be effective um, in your lab, but then transforming this into something that is, could, be, could be a product to be used uh, by humans is like, it's exactly what it's called. It's like the valley of death. The chances that you will be able to do this are very, very slim. Big step. Um, and you, exactly, and you have to have very, very promising results in a, a spectrum of, uh, of um, animal models or very, very sound uh, uh, scientific proof that this is the direction you're going. And you have to have support by 
be it a pharmaceutical company or uh, other financial uh, supporters that will help you bridge this uh, this valley. So, so you were disappointed with science and you decided to explore further? <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I wasn't disappointed with science, but I knew that you have to have a certain uh, personality to help you, as you said, Vanna, to help you lift up uh, when you fail, because science is a lot, a lot of failure. Uh, and you have to have stamina in order to, to move through those days when uh, the bench is not your friend. Um, and I also, I also thought that um, I saw how, um, how starting up your own laboratory and how managing a laboratory is not exactly uh, hands-on science. It's more a managerial uh, position. You uh, find yourself uh, chasing grants and chasing uh, um, other uh, financial uh, pathways and dealing with the other pressures and such. I want to say political pressure, but it's, <laughs> let's say that the, the road I picked was not very different from that. Um, but then I thought that that the, the, the route of becoming a PI was just not for me. Um, and I wanted to, to explore other, other pathways. Was it passive? this info intake or you you find yourself asking questions about the route of PI as a possible career and if it suits the values that I want to or, or the, the, the way I see my professional me down the line? I think when, a, when someone um, starts their PhD, I think most people will, uh, will think that this leads to becoming a PI. There's no other way. You go through your PhD, you go, uh, uh, you go abroad, you go through a, a postdoc, uh, right, in one of the um, Ivy Leagues uh, or some, uh, some other place. You have to uh, uh, publish in uh, what is called, like, the, the, they have initials for that as well, you know, the science, uh, science cell nature, the CNS, right? We call it the CNS because it's like the, the central nerve system. The same abbreviation. This is why, uh, uh, and then you have to go through. You have to go through the usual uh, points along the way. And I don't know when the wake-up call exactly came, but I, I think that I saw another PI in our hallway, and I saw his struggles and uh, uh, what it took from him to to reach that point. And I thought that this uh, these struggles never end. It's always a struggle. There's no uh, resting, there's no point in which you can rest. And I saw it with my PI, who is an amazing 75 year old guy who has this fire in his belly and keeps on working and keeps on chasing the other grant and keeps on, uh, he calls it snoring, you know, uh, looking, <laughs> looking for his, uh, for his uh, uh, financial support because the, at, at a certain point, the university does not, uh, finance the, the lab anymore. And, and I wasn't sure that at 75, I would still be able to do that. I don't have that. I didn't have that amazing passion uh, as a PhD, which I had all the conditions to have it. Um, and when you're alone and you have to do it on your own, I, did, I was just wasn't sure that I have the passion to, to, to pull this through. 
but it sounds you were very honest with yourself, which is the number one thing you have to be when you when you self reflect when you when yeah. I think I think that someone like someone like um, being a medical doctor uh, or being uh, some other sort of profession, you don't just you know find yourself rolling by inertia into that position. You really, really have to want to go there because you'll bump into every possible obstacle on the way. Uh, there's severe competition and you really need to be at your A game in order to accomplish it, accomplish this. And it's also, as we say, like 80% luck that you uh, find yourself in the right uh, atmosphere, you have the right topic you want to research, you have the exact model that they're looking for, you know, the exact technologies that they want um, at the pinpoint time. Yeah, it's quite sad that the, yeah, you have to be so good. And when you reach it, you not necessarily enjoy it. So it's, it, yeah, <laughs> we have to be crazy to follow it. <laughs> Exactly. I, I hope that people that are they go through this do enjoy it because because man, if you don't if you don't enjoy it and still do it, it's it's crazy. Okay, so so you answered yourself, okay, not that. This is not what I'm gonna do. What's next? So what's so, now? Yeah, exactly. That, that's like one. So path. I think if, exactly. So first, answering this to yourself, I think it's a major, it's a major issue because again, we're all born. Scientists are all born with this in mind, this program in mind, and then to deviate from this is a big, a big decision. But then once this, you you've decided that this door is closed, then you can see all the other openings in the room and see what fits you the most. So I thought uh, about uh, joining um, some sort of consultation, being some sort of a consultant, because this is very uh, popular. Um, maybe joining a venture capital uh, company, um, um, perhaps joining um, some sort of commercial developer, uh, some, someone to do with R&D and such. And, and then another thought came into mind that um, while well, all these are critical in order to develop some sort of product, and I knew that I wanted to go into therapeutical products because because Alzheimer, as you say, when you're passionate, exactly, when you're passionate about a disease, you're not passionate about about the disease, but you know about how to solve the disease. So I knew that this was the where where I was heading. Um, and what occurred to me, which uh, of course is trivial, but when you're in it, it's not that trivial, that they do it for profit, which is of course what makes the world go round. You know, everybody needs to make money and they invest that money into other people uh, in order to uh, do their research, in order to develop, and it's critical. But I wasn't sure that I wanted to, to do this under the pressure that you have to make a profit. I saw in one of the companies that I, uh, I that I looked at that they decided that they're not doing anything having to do with uh, um, neuro neurological diseases. They just closed that pipeline because it's not profitable. And then I thought, okay, it's this is completely, of course, uh, legitimate, and they have to do it because they have to take that money and invest it into other uh, avenues of therapy. 
but man, I mean, you know, just cutting all, all research into neurological diseases because it's not profitable was something that, you know, made me uneasy. Um, and that left something that is not profit. And hey, there's, there, there, this is the government. The government does things not for profit. Um, Some will say the opposite. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> But you can see now that we're doing things without money. So uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, having no budget now. So um, uh, so th this, I, I, I think that this was uh, uh, was the goal that I was uh, that I was trying to achieve. And um, I heard about the civil uh, civil service cadet program, which is uh, they they broadcasted it on uh, on uh, radio. I, I do listen to the radio. A radio. Yes. You yes. found out about it through radio. Yes. Through a linear form of podcast. That's exactly. incredible. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say, but this is uh, something that Israelis would understand. It's Galit Sahal, which is, um, I think, one of. Uh, it just shows how old I am. <laughs> oh. Hey, hey! I, I'm a fan of Reshet Bet, and Karen Neubach <laughs> is my hero. So that, that makes you a little older, even. Yeah, I'll no, but it's it something. Yeah, it just shows how much we don't know about what's out there, and the universities don't bother to let us know, right? No, no, I didn't. I didn't hear about it in any other in any other uh, form of media except on the radio. Um, and and the thing is that they they uh, every round hour just before the news they broadcast this, this commercial. This is a governmental initiative. Uh, from uh, the civil service uh, commissioner, uh, the program is uh, is um, their initiative, and they just uh, uh, broadcasted it on the on uh, the radio. And I thought that this could be what I was looking for. And um, I interviewed and I did all the tests, and I finally got in. It's a program that each year takes uh, thirty cadets all with bachelor degrees uh, with distinction in any field, any field. They don't, they don't, um, um, they're not looking for, right. They don't look for anything in particular. You can come um, in my um, uh, group. We had people with uh, a bachelor's in education, economics, uh, law, uh, we had we had another PhD uh, student uh, in social sciences. Uh, really, from every every aspect, um, and the, the the program is a six year program. It's divided into two parts. The first two years, um, you you complete a master's degree in uh, in public policy, and you also. Um, learn about everything that the government does um, about um, what it, it sponsors uh, what are uh, the responsibilities uh, you also learn about um, uh, the society in Israel all the different sectors what are their aims what are their needs how they communicate with the government um, how to engage the, the, the public into what you're doing and how important that is um, we have a saying that you can't, um, what, what is it? Um, not about us without us. Mm -hmm. Don't make decisions that regard us without, um, 
consulting with the public and the relevant sectors that um, are supposed to accept or you know do what, what you're asking them to do. And we also got tools that um, have to do with values and leadership and how to work in groups and how to um, take an idea from, from just thinking about into complete uh, implement, implementation within the government, mm-hmm. how to utilize budgets and um, legal consultants and everything. These are all tools in order to reach your goal. And the, four, the other four years are just... Um, you're inside. You're inside the government in in any sort of ministry. I went to the Ministry of Health, but um, other cadets went to I think everything but foreign affairs. I think because they have their own uh, cadet program. Uh, but we have people in uh, in um, Ministry um, of Interior Affairs. You have people Ministry of Tran- Transportation, Agriculture, uh, Communications. Really, we're, we're we're stretched throughout the ministry, which is again another good thing. Because if you want to ask someone for their advice, you just pick up the phone for someone who's in your in your class, and you ask them, you know, I need a. Did you do a budget plan for so and so initiative? And he says yes. Talk to this. Talk to that, and you get everything. You have a network throughout the throughout the government, and then it's easier to take a, to to uh, create and uh, implement uh, decisions and programs that you want to. You want to do so you mentioned that in the course you had another phd so not most of you most of the cadets were not at the phd level no i think um our class which was the sixth uh class of this program was the first one that had phds uh but we had two okay. so uh uh this is this was uh, very nice to see. And I think that the, the added value that we brought was scientific thinking, which is a great, a great, let's say a great added value to see how decisions are, are made within the government that have more of a, a data-driven uh, decision-making. Um, you wanna have more constructive thinking about how to reach uh, a certain goal. And I think the government, also saw this as a very important added value and opened another program that is dedicated for PhD students, which is Mimshak. Oh, we heard about it. I think uh, we know. Yeah, someone know presented it at people. Science Abroad. Yeah. Yeah, it, it sounds awesome. And you actually snapped that. I had this, I had this question, what is the added value that, that your, your friend with PhD brought into the program? Um, and you already answered that. So I'm going to ask the other way around. What was missing that you, that what you were missing or the, the, the academic as a whole were missing coming from academia into that program that you think might be mitigated or, or at least addressed while you're doing your bachelor's, you're doing your master's, you, you are at the university and learning. What skills could you uh, train on to prepare you better for this kind of experience? Um, wow. It's a loaded question. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a very, very interesting and, and exciting question. I have you been a little retro, retro, retrospective as to um, your past. But um, I think two things that uh, while in the program came to mind that I think we're missing 
in my path was first of all, um, it's not uh, teamwork. It, it, you do have some sort of teamwork within the lab, but I think um, when working in the lab, you have your project that you're pushing through and, uh, and um, you're solely into it. But when you look at initiatives that are more of a national project, you can see that there's no way that you can reach these things alone. That you can um, take it from point A to point B on your own. You have to have all these um, people that supply you with information and supply you with resources along the way. And it's not a one-man act in any, in any uh, aspect or form. While working in a lab, it could be uh, a one-man act. You could uh, do everything on your own. You could, um, to, to a certain degree, do everything by yourself. Um, and the other thing, which is, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it relates to, to um, science, but I think it does in some way, is um, engaging, um, Engaging maybe the endpoint uh, 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 person that what you're doing affects. I think that when you research um, um, a disease or when you research something that is um, uh, a therapy or something, you're very into the science. I don't think you ever stop to think how it affects. I knew that I never met someone with Alzheimer's doing my studies, <laughs> which is... I don't know. I, I don't know if, if the research of the science itself would benefit from it, but I think that myself as a scientist would. Would. I think it would. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's what, one of the reasons I went to a um, translational lab that does sort of everything. And it was very sort of, it definitely enriched my perspective on uh, children with autism, which is what, what I studied in the postdoc. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Also, I think like, for example, my PI now at UCSF, Professor Hitub, he is really good at this, exactly that point. I don't know if like, uh, if it's like, out of awareness, but I think everyone, because we have very diverse project, everyone's working on a completely different element, but everyone that works on, on a thing, SN2A, a polycystic kidney disease, stuff like that, they're in contact with the patient advocacy groups. So they're very close and they, they are aware of the outcome and who are, they, who are the beneficiaries of their final product. And that gives you motivation. I think that, that maybe serves back and address the, the stamina issue that gives you exactly. power. Exactly, the, mo the motivation, exactly. Yeah. I think that was somewhat lacking uh, during my PhD studies. And, and I think it's an amazing, amazing aspect. And, and you're very lucky that your PIs are, uh, are taking that into account. Yeah. And I, I just thought of another thing that um, was an added value that came from the lab and um, was, I think, um, a very uh, amazing tool that we used. Um, and that's uh, storytelling. Uh, when you're um, a scientist, uh, you're required, I think, maybe once a week or once, once a month to tell the story of your research. And I'm not talking about uh, a data, you know, not the, the Excel file that uh, is behind what we're doing, but um, the story, what, what uh, the mechanism that you're doing, what's the, 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 um, how you got into the thing that you're researching now and what's 
the next step and what's the next move and what you think uh, things are doing. And it's like a round story that you tell that you tell about your research. And you have to sometimes do it in uh, 20, uh, um, 250 words if it's an abstract or a poster. And maybe in a talk, which is 15 minutes that you have to do, right? Or seven minutes or three minutes or whatever they're thinking about next. And you have that bell that you have to uh, just pour everything out in under three minutes and, and, and tell them what you're doing. And I, I think that the, the, um, the, the way that you, you have to do it uh, concisely and hit all the right points and um, get people excited about what you're doing, because I think that's one of the, the most important things. This was a, an amazing tool that uh, you can take everywhere with you. And, and the lab gives you that when you're uh, presenting and when you're writing, and, and then you go and take this tool to, to everything that you're doing outside, how to, uh, to get people excited and engaged in under five minutes. Like the, the, the elevator pitch, the first mm -hmm. time I heard about it was in the lab. Yeah, so now it's useful. What was your Completely. last pitch? <laughs> uh, um, we're, we're trying to um, um, tighten and strengthen our uh, relationship with um, our parallels um, internationally. Um, and um, other regulators to, 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 to uh, um, consult and advise and, and, and see what other um, regulatory agencies do with regard to new technologies and um, uh, other questions. And, and, and so these elevator pitches, you know, when you first meet someone and you want to tell them, like I, we did now, what our director does and what are our goals and what do we want to do and why do we want to interact with them uh, specifically, you know, and an and email. <laughs> Go. <laughs> Go. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so all led us to uh, to your current role. So you, you did your PhD, you went through the cadet program and landed, luckily for the Ministry of Health, at the uh, M-tier. I, I guess our audience is, is curious about what is the life cycle of a new technology coming in? Are you actively looking for stuff to solve problems? Are you uh, acting as a like a state, state stakeholder, VC, that people pitch to you technologies to solve problems that they manage, like, what happens? Um, I think uh, the ministry as a whole, you have all, all those aspects. You do have, like, the chief scientist at the Ministry of Health that is, um, could be a financial supporter of, um, um, different researchers and, and maybe R&D, R&Ds of uh, products. Uh, you do have the uh, innovation authority within the uh, Ministry of Economics that this is their role. They finance uh, projects, R&D projects, um, and they have um, a very big branch that um, deals with uh, life science uh, R&D projects. Um, you, we usually meet a technology, or let's say we're, we, we are formally introduced to a technology when they reach the stages of clinical trials. They did their preclinicals, um, um, 
in vivo, maybe sometimes only in vitro, if they don't have um, an animal model that suits what they're trying. And then they want to go and uh, start exploring how this uh, product affects uh, people. It could be a medical device. It could be, um, let's say, a chemical. It could be an advanced therapy, some sort of biologic. It could be um, like some sort of a, a cell manipulation or genetic manipulation. Um, it could be a stent that is implemented. It could be any sort of thing. Um, and then you have to go through clinical trials to see the first things to see is that it's safe for use. And then uh, you can see if it's effective. It's exactly what you see now with the, the vaccination. I think it's a very interesting test case to see how technology um, is uh, regulated. Right. Um, so, so you serve as a mini FDA? Like you're exactly. You replace uh, minus FDA. minus the F. We're a mini DA because you have the you have the uh, food services who are in charge with uh, with uh, everything to do with uh, with uh, uh, food and uh, mm -hmm. all sort of uh, of that. But we're the DA, mm -hmm. um, and exactly this is what we do. Um, but the FDA does not have uh, the clinical trials within the the FDA. They um, they are the registration. Uh, body, but they also uh, advise different companies on, on what they have to um, look at when they do their clinical trials. What are the endpoints they're looking for? What are the the uh, groups, the 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 amount of people they wanna they wanna explore and such to, to reach the statistical data that they that they need? Um, and this is also a service that we're now trying to develop within the ministry to get these uh, little Israeli startup companies. They, they come with a, with a, they only have like a thought maybe, they don't even have a product and they, they're looking for someone to, to, to tell them what are the ropes, what are they, what they, do they need to do next? And so we're also trying to develop this platform uh, for small companies. We're putting great emphasis on um, innovation in R&D within hospitals. We think this is a great resource. They have their patient, they have, the relevant patients in the facility they have um, in Israel. Um, each uh, hospital has um, um, a university that is like attached to mm -hmm. it. Um, and so they have um, basic and translational scientists associated with the hospital. They have labs within the hospitals. They have the patients in the hospitals so they can uh, close like short circles Within, within the hospitals. So this is a great resource. And also if this um, uh, technology um, will end up as something that makes money for the hospital, this is another great uh, feature. Mm -hmm. So this is, a, this is a, um, another great uh, point that we're trying to push. And so, then- So currently, so currently it's, an, it's an issue to, con to to get this this high level or the same level of clinical trials that you will see in the U.S. than in Israel, I, I think the levels of clinical trials are very high in Israel. We also serve as um, as stage three clinical trials uh, when you have uh, simultaneously uh, different uh, sites of a clinical trials in the U.S. and in Europe and in Israel uh, at the same time. So 
we we hold up to the same standards as uh, as um, other uh, large uh, regulatory agencies and the researchers in Israel and our and uh, sponsors in Israel are top notch so uh, they're the same as uh, here as in the US and in Europe so if the sponsors are the same and the uh, regulatory framework is the same you get the same uh, products and the same results mm-hmm. and uh, so how will it work you you'll get a permission in Israel and then you will apply with the same data to the FDA exactly or yeah yeah you can use the data that you've reached that you um, gathered in Israel if it's like the first stage of clinical trials and you can take this data and go to the FDA and tell them look I've done this in Israel and then they can say exactly okay so now you have to do it uh, one of the things that the FDA um, um, being a very large uh, agency and a very large market, They can uh, um, demand that the clinical trial will be also done in America on Americans um, in order to explore locally what this um, technology does. But the data that is gathered in Israel is definitely part of the file that is uh, used uh, when, when talking to the FDA. Mm-hmm. So, um, so like a, a makeup, A makeup scenario a global pandemic okay <laughs> and there is a vaccine that no I, way no way this is too far no, no, I saw a movie uh, <laughs> yeah it's a it's not real it's a horror movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so a global pandemic a vaccine has been created by a company that uh, rhymes with miser okay <laughs> and it was approved Why not why this company needs to go now to every state and every uh, uh, regulatory uh, agency with the same data and do the same registration again? Why not uh, the quality assurance, the safety assurance? Why yeah. do they have to go through the same hoops again? Yeah. Um, each agency is um, uh, is responsible for the well-being of their, Uh, citizens and populations um, each of them brings different experience uh, and different um, needs maybe when exploring the same file the same quality and the same safety data um, they look at it a little differently um, with different uh, uh, requirements from their citizen and population we saw this and When um, I'm not into the, uh, the vaccines uh, very thoroughly, but I um, managed the part of the serological tests that they had like a, a big rise in the first wave. And we saw that the data that the sponsors brought us, they, everyone uh, when, they, when they brought this technology of the, of the uh, serological tests, they brought data with it. They looked at uh, the results in 100 people or 200 people. And then we took this technology and we, we, we could do one of two things, either accept the data that they brought and saw very nice results having to do with specificity uh, of, the, of the results. Um, and we thought that we need to test this because the numbers were still very small you know taking uh, taking a test that was done on 100 people 
and now uh, scaling scaling this to thousands, tens of thousands of people might have different results. So we wanted to do a validation test uh, here, uh, and we saw completely different results than those yeah. that the, the sponsors brought us. I'm not sure if this has to do with the disease, if this has to do with the, the mini trial that, that, that they did to explore the technology. Um, it could be that this disease has some sort of different uh, char characteristics um, when, when uh, seen in uh, China or in uh, Singapore or in South Korea or in Europe or here. Um, but we saw that we got different, different, uh, different uh, results. And um, then we decided that each uh, uh, diagnostic technology has to have a validation test locally as well. Mm. We're not, the numbers that they bring are not the final, the final numbers that we wanna see. Now I'm not saying that uh, Miser or, <laughs> or uh, Soderna, uh, have, to, have to have clinical trials in Israel before they're registered for use, but you do want to have the sovereign agency looking at the uh, data, the quality data and the safety data before they register and, and see that it fits the local needs and the local standards as well. Cool. I'm sure that's reassuring for many of our audience or audience of an audience that <laughs> are afraid, yeah. And and rest assured that people are always looking very critically, like are not in, in all their colleagues on this data and not just like administering no, stuff to no, the population. Very reassuring, exactly. Yeah. Cool, what is, what is next? What you're doing wow. now sounds amazing and very challenging and so many facets to it. What's in the What's in the cards for you, Anna? What's next? Uh, the good thing is that I have no idea. Uh, I'm <laughs> an opportunity go. seizer, and when an opportunity rises, I can uh, see if it's if it fits me or not at uh, a specific time. I'm very pleased with the position that I'm in now. Um, I get to look at new technologies uh, firsthand. Um, I get to assist them. Uh, help them, support them uh, through their journey and see how um, a patient at the end uh, uses them uh, and gets better. Um, we see how we can um, uh, help um, with uh, people accessing new and improved uh, uh, therapies through the reimbursement uh, uh, basket and see that the, the novel technologies that you saw yesterday have matured into um, legitimate therapies and are now sponsored by HMOs for the benefit of the great public. And I think this is a very satisfying uh, process to look at and to assist. And uh, what's next, um, how they say Elohim Gadol? You know, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe some some sort of an idea will come up to me, and then uh, uh, will come up uh, in my dreams, or some uh, company would approach and say, "Come, come join us," or something. And then, you know, um, 
or have some other pathway, maybe the Ministry of Transportation needs a brain scientist to see how uh, buses uh, can be, I don't know, <laughs> used by brain waves or something. Yeah, um, I, I think I think less is known about what like what's going to happen with the light rail in Tel Aviv than on exactly. the train. Yeah, <laughs> something that's the, that's the that. next fear. The next yeah. fear. <laughs> After we got the brain all figured out, that then let's look at the exactly. transportation in Tel Aviv. Exactly. And and what a what a what a funny day that we conduct this interview and you mentioned that I don't know what's next, but if an opportunity comes and it fits, then yeah, it's just me and Lena we talked about something and I, I'm. I'm exactly at that point now when an opportunity comes and I need to figure out if like what what is in the cards and and it's very it's very important to go back to our roots and be again honest know our values in advance and not just on the fly uh, contemplate them mm -hmm. and see if it fits and I think uh, I think this is like a major lesson that that we constantly uh reiterate here in our interviews is that to see what you want from yourself and how you want your professional and personal life to look like and find a career not necessarily in academia that that suits you yeah and, uh, and you have you have a lot of a lot of tools that you picked up along the way and a lot of added value as a scientist to each um avenue that you pick because you do i don't know um we kind of uh, downgraded ourselves a lot during car and during conversations and said, okay, who needs biologists? They need chemists, they need computer scientists, they need, um, I don't know, physicians, they need all sorts of people. Nobody needs biologists, come on. But you can see that in the last five, 10 years, um, all drugs are now uh, biological. You can yeah. see now that vaccines need uh, biologists. Um, the government needs scientists of any sort. Environment, uh, 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 agriculture, uh, alternative uh, fuels, everything exactly. is biology. Yeah, energy. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I think I heard somewhere that uh, the Israeli government has one of the lowest uh, number of PhDs, and I think it's a really big missed opportunity. And completely, anyone completely. that that will choose that route will will have a lot to contribute um, as you say both sort of specifically scientifically sort of whatever they studied but also more generally of sort of thinking about big ideas and thinking thoroughly about them and making hypotheses and testing them out and not just following hunches yeah. and that. exactly yeah. lena academia party next elections <laughs> I think I'll skip that. <laughs> okay, that's that's an opportunity that I'm gonna pass. <laughs> no, but I I think there 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 are a lot of opportunities over there, um, and um, yeah, no, it's very exciting to hear that. Even though sort of whatever we see on the TV, sort of that comes out of sort of the government, and especially during these days, sort of the way the government looks like on TV is very different from the way sort of things seem to work from within mm -hmm. uh, and that projects are getting sort of, you know, evaluated um, and things are still being tested. And it, sort of, I think this was a, a good example of sort of, you know, politics coming and saying, you know, I have this win, sort of, I have this test done and 
like I have that sort of technology brought in, but that's not enough. We need someone from within to sort of really look through and, and make sure that, you know, their pol po political win is a, is a real win for the public. And it, it's great to hear that. It's a good, it's a good are... friction, you know, um, having politicians that um, are the people's voice and you have mm -hmm. professionals that look at the data, the scientific data, and it's a good friction because those promote those and uh, yeah. those speed up the processes behind. Um, yeah. It's an important friction. It's like what we said about you have to have the people that are the, at the end point of this, you have to keep them in mind yeah. um, throughout the process. Yeah. I'm also sure it's a, it's a hard balance to, to strike, right? Because you want to have new technologies coming in. You want to have new tests, you know, fast tests, good tests, um, vaccines. You, you want to have all of that brought in, but you have to be very careful. And exactly. I'm sure it's quite a, quite a, quite a challenge to, to, to balance it and sort of be true to yourself that you've done everything you can to both promote the technology and sort of the advancement, but also keep everyone safe. True. Um, this is I exactly how, what we do every day. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and that I want to I want to exploit like the last uh, part of this like the last turn of this conversation too. It's not every day that we talk to a person who can uh, get something to get to make the life at like like what we called home better. And we have hundreds of, of listeners brilliant each and every one in their own field with loads and loads of ideas in the door what is the biggest pain in the system that you and that that you are looking for a solution to maybe someone has a brilliant idea to come with wow we only have tiny questions simple <laughs> yeah and, and then what is the meaning of life <laughs> the universe and everything great book. 42 yeah um <laughs> Wow, um, I don't think there is a single challenge. Uh, I think that's the that's the answer. Um, I think that uh, our day to day is comprised of a lot of lot of uh, small challenges, and um, I think that um, we're looking for. Let, let me say um, in general categories, okay? And if you if you answer one of those categories, then please be welcome to join it, to, to approach me, send me an email and we'll see what we can uh, help and assist you. Um, we're looking for um, advanced, uh, advanced therapies and advanced uh, solutions to um, chronic diseases. And we're looking for, um, people to assist with um, how to think of uh, regulation in a new age where therapies can be uh, explored on, I don't know, less than 10 patients because they're so advanced and they're so fitted personally and it's a whole different ball game now. Um, and we're exploring this constantly in Israel and other, other um, uh, regulatory agencies around the world. Uh, we're looking for um, dialogue, how to, to, to um, create a very open uh, uh, dialogue 
with all stakeholders to see uh, what their needs are and how we can address them. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a <here>. lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. We, so again, if you, if you have a, an idea that you thought of in, like, in your dream and in, in, in the bathroom or something <laughs> that you think is brilliant and answer one of those I don't good ideas are first born in, uh, in the bathroom. Yeah, you should come in, come join the academia group, uh, start a conversation or approach in that, uh, or us uh, will really enable you. And yeah, just try it out, try. Might get an answer that it's not relevant, but you might get an answer that's freaking brilliant. Where have you mm -hmm. been? Or where, <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is great. Thank you, Annette, so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Um, so uh, happy late, late, late Hanukkah. And, uh, <laughs> well, it's still Hanukkah here. So Hanukkah, Hanukkah. exactly. <laughs> and happy holidays. And, uh, and let's hope for a happy and healthy and better new year. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know when this will be published, but uh, Moderna just got their approval today for their vaccine. So we're... Um, I'm definitely optimistic today. Uh, There's a light at the end of this corona, exactly. corona yeah. tunnel. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I, I, In a long one. <laughs> I'm at UCSF. We got a notice that we are in the cohort for vaccination. And I am happy to be to Super get excited. Yeah. I'm happy to give up my arm and, and, and get vaccinated. <laughs> that's to show exactly. my kids, to show everyone. That's important. We want to get back to our normal life before to keep our parents safe to keep our surroundings safe exactly Absolutely. and then get our life back definitely, yeah. to, definitely. Get our, to get our kids in school please <laughs> <laughs> well great thank you so much so um uh thank you for being available for our community so if uh we will post some uh details how to contact you and if anyone is interested in governmental work in israel my pleasure um, and about the great. cadet programs and Minshak as well yeah yep. Yeah, and, and there are other ways to, to sort of come in, right? There, um... Definitely. You can always join um, some sort of position that um, um, you think is fitted for you. And um, this is, of course, uh, the, the normal route. We're, we're doing a detour, I think, the programs, <laughs> but there are detours dedicated to, to, to new force in the government. Yeah, but it's a great detour. Like it's a really big jump. I think it, it seems exciting. I don't know <laughs> from this is. part of the world. <laughs> it is great. great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. You too.